I want to ask that nobody leaves in the next few minutes. Is that okay? That nobody leaves and goes to another room or shuffles around. Just stay for just a few minutes because you're going to see and hear a story, a real story of real people from this church. And just to honor that and also because I don't think you want to miss this, I'm going to ask that you just stay where you are if you can in these next few minutes. Thank you. Hi, I'm, I'm Dave. Um, I'm married to Liz. We've been married for 25, 25 years now. Met in 88 um, and I was 16 and Dave was a little bit older. And, uh, about, so f- about five, six years after he got married, I became a Christian and a couple of years after that, that Liz did. Well, after we got married, we lived in a small flat in Hells Owen um, and life was um, lots of fun. We had lots of fun together. After about seven years of marriage, we had our first daughter, Bethany. She was everything we wanted from a little girl. She was um, full of beans and always really enthusiastic and absolutely doted on. She was the first grandchild for all, the, all of our, both of our sets' parents. Uh, I got a job out in the Pacific on uh, British Government's aid programme and we took Bethany out there. So we had a couple, a couple of years with just the three of us really travelling, living on a little island. Bethany flourished out there. She learnt lots of the language and the little lady, the lady that looked after her during the day taught her to dance and she used to do Kiribati dancing. And um, when we came back from Kiribati after two years, um, well, I was pregnant with Florence um, and she came along and then not long after that, Alice came along had a little perfect family with three beautiful little girls, all blonde and cheeky. And Bethany was very much the big sister. She um, enjoyed that role of mothering and looking after them. She was a bit of a mother hen and would want to help them get dressed and show them how to play with their Betty spaghettis properly and um, really enjoyed her role as a big sister. And David booked us to go away with his mum and dad and my... Um, dad and his girlfriend at the time um, into a farmhouse in Wales in Snowdon. We were going to climb Snowdon as a, as a family, th- say three generations, the grandparents, us and, and the, the kids. The girls were in the back of the car, have an image of the three of them, all beautiful with their blonde hair I and mean, matching dresses as we're heading off on a sunny day. We got to Snowdon, we had a brilliant farmhouse, really big place, um, there was lambs in the fields, there were sheepdogs, the girls were playing, everybody was... Life is, you look back, life is, life is, life is perfect, it was really, really good. Um, all the family got on well together. We, my mum my took two of the girls out and we took uh, Alice out on our back for a walk and uh, everybody got on really well. We had a really nice dinner, we played, we played games and, and everything, everything was going, going great. Um, and Bethany previously had a little bit of a cold and a cough um, and she was fine on that evening. The three girls had a bath together um, and all went to bed. Um, and then at about midnight she started developing this cough and because she had a cold previously I just assumed it was a, a cough left over from this virus that she'd had. Um, which we, we weren't really too concerned about. Um, Alice had been previously been, been ill with various things and we we thought it was okay, but Liz, Liz gave her the inhaler. Um. And she was a bit upset because she thought she wasn't going to be able to walk up Snowdon because she'd packed everything to walk up Snowdon the next day. And we sort of said, oh, we'll get the train, it'll all be okay, we'll, we'll, we'll still go up to Snowdon. Um. Liz decided to um, phone NHS Direct to, uh, to check whether it was okay to give her some uh, more inhaler. Um, and while I was downstairs, I heard an almighty scream upstairs. I knew something was serious, ran back upstairs. Beth, Beth walked over to me and uh, as she came o- over to me, her face, had, her face had gone blue. Um, I suppose I, 
I, I, I shrieked out and called, which is, which is what Liz heard. I ran back upstairs and Bethany was walking across the uh, bedroom and as she was walking she was blue in the face and she fell um, and um, uh, um. I, rem I remember frantically running around trying to get the, far the farmer knocking, hammering on his door to get him to, um, to phone an ambulance. Um, for a while it seemed to be working, a colour started to come back, she seemed to be work it seemed to be working as we were trying to resuscitate her, a colour was coming back, um, but, um, but she wasn't, she, 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 she wasn't coming back. While all that was happening I was, I was, at, I was outside looking for the, the ambulance to come and uh, just frantically running, running around really I suppose and praying and um, I remember the ambulance coming and trying to really hurry up the ambulance people to get up the stairs and uh... um, and they came and they worked on her for a bit and she was already dead. Our world was never the same again. We left Wales. Um, we had to go and sign um, the death certificate, which was a bit harsh because Bethany was a fabulous drawer and painter and dancer and she had lots of certificates for all sorts of exciting things and then to be given a certificate for dying felt really harsh it was a real sort of finalness to it um, and then we came back home um, and the church were amazing um, I don't think I would be here I don't think I could have carried on living if people hadn't have come around and supported us like they did um, Leon and Alison were at the house when we got home, um, which helped with the emptiness because something in my head said that Bethany would be there when I got home. And it was quite harsh arriving home and seeing that it was never going to be the same, that the house was different. It was, it, it was kind of unreal, just it, it didn't sink in. So you'd be, I'd be at a shopping centre and I'd see a blonde haired girl and I'd be convinced it was, I'd be convinced it was was Beth. Um, I'd had a very um, childlike view of God and what people talked about God letting suffering happen. It was so far away from me and my view of the world that suffering, I could theorise about it, I knew what to, the answer to when people asked me, but this was so close to, to me, this pain, that I couldn't understand why God had let her die and why God was so absent. What if we'd have done this? Could we have changed something? Um, so you just search, search and search and search, and it's all that goes on in your head is just what's happened and um, you stop, the rest of you stops functioning, you can't do stuff. So we're really grateful for the support we got for people doing meals, practical support. But I saw God in other people, so people um, queued up and wanted to feed us. People came and made drinks and uh, prayed with us and prayed for us and stood in the gap. I also had an overwhelming feeling that um, I should stand in the way of God, though I didn't hear him and I didn't believe him, that I had to stand in the way of God. So I would let people pray with me and I would ask people to pray for me. Care for the Family have a Brief Parents um, organisation and we went along to that for some support and to me other Brief Parents. Um, and it was the analogy of a ball, she had a ball and trying to put a ball into the glass and that's what the grief was like. That it stayed, it was so big, it was overwhelmed the glass, it couldn't, you couldn't do anything else, it wouldn't fit into your life. And then slowly but surely she got another glass bowl and the ball started to, while well, it was the biggest thing in, the, in that bowl, the life had got a little bit bigger and there was a series of bowls, but the important part of it was that the ball stayed the same. So um, though my life has expanded over the last 11 years without Bethany, um, the grief is still the same, it's still there. 
it's just that things have grown and our life has changed. That I didn't want God to take the pain away. Um, the pain is part of who I am. It's part of being a bereaved mother. I want to be in touch with my pain, and I want it wouldn't be right for it not to be there. But God helps me to hold my pain and to use my pain to help other people. So people who are not necessarily a bereaved parent but have some uh, pain, I find that I'm able to touch it better. My life has been expanded, and that God has allowed me to expand my life around my pain. God holds it and helps me hold it in such a way that that it's not destructive to me or to people around me, that I can hold my pain in a way that's not bitter and twisted and that's not um, holding back my life or the life of those around me. Why is there so much pain in the world? Children dying, poverty, war, famine, earthquakes, natural disasters... Loss of jobs, recession, husband left me, kids going off the rails. Why is there so much pain in the world? What do I mean by pain? I mean pain is grief and loss. It's not necessarily on the dramatic scale. You know, most of us will never experience the level of pain that Dave and Liz have experienced, although some of you perhaps have. But whatever grief and loss, whatever loss we've experienced in our life is pain to us, isn't it? Remember the old adage, the nursing adage, pain is what the patient says it is. So this morning as we begin to talk about this subject of pain, I don't want you to check out and think, well actually the pain I've experienced is nowhere near what we've just seen on the video. Pain is whatever you've experienced, grief and loss in your life, whether you've lost a job, whether you've lost a dream, an ambition, a relationship, a friendship, an ability, you know, a health thing and there's pain that's symbolic of that grief and the loss in your own life. I don't know what's your earliest childhood memory. My earliest childhood memory, vivid one, um, is when I was a, a little boy, and I really hope I was only three or four, okay, and not 15 or 16, because this is an embarrassing story if I was actually 15 or 16. But I think I was three or four, and big girls in our street were pushing me around on a trike around the street. And there was a bit where we had to turn a corner like that, and I lost control of the trike, okay, and went straight into a wall and hit my face on a wall, and the blood came out. In my memory, blood was fountaining out of my mouth. It was probably a little drip. But it's so vivid because it was associated with pain. Knocking on the door of my house, and my mom coming out in blood, and then in the back of the car, and off to the hospital in stitches. There's something about pain which, which makes it so vivid that it sticks in your memory, and you carry it with you, perhaps for the rest of your life. When it comes to pain and thinking about God, everybody has a problem. So if you're not a Christian today, okay, some of you, and I've heard loads of people say this, to some people, the problem of pain and God is proof that God doesn't exist. Because if God existed, why would he allow all of this bad stuff to happen to people? Why would he allow bad things to happen to good people? And it's amazing that when bad things happen in the world, and we've seen so much on our news and TVs recently, when bad things happen in the world, people who say there is no God start blaming God, don't they? People who say that God doesn't exist, all of a sudden God becomes the answer and the blame for the pain. But actually, they're the ones that say that God doesn't exist. So if God doesn't exist, you can't blame him for the pain, but you've got to blame somebody. But you know, if you are someone who believes in God today, you also, if you're like me, have a problem when it comes to pain and God. We believe that God is real. We believe that God exists. But how do we explain the pain that we experience? Or how do we explain the pain that we see in others or in the world around us? See, the problem is this, that if God exists, he's either bad by allowing it to happen, or he's weak 
by not stopping it. So most of us have a problem when it comes to pain. Today I'm not going to look at the big philosophical issues, okay? How can God allow suffering in the world? Free will and choice, fallen planet, all of that. I'm not going to look at all of the big academic philosophical questions. I could speak for hours on that, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make it really, really personal today. Just as you've heard a really personal story, I'm going to make it personal as well. And there are three questions that we all have when it comes to the problem of pain and God. These are the questions. God, are you there? Do you care? And can you do anything about this pain I'm experiencing? God, are you there? Do you care? And can you do anything about this pain I'm experiencing? What did Jesus have to say to encourage us in John 16? Don't bother turning to it. It'll come up on the screen. Verse 33, Jesus said this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, including pain. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What Jesus said, make it really crystal clear to everybody is this. You are going to get pain in your, in your life. In, in, the, in the words of a, of a band which is so old, some of you won't even have a clue what this band is. R.E.M. Everyone hurts. Sometimes. Jesus says, everybody hurts sometimes. Everybody's going to get pain. But take heart, I am greater than. I'm greater than that pain. That pain, you're greater than this pain that I'm feeling. You're greater than the pain that Dave and Liz experienced. Jesus is greater than that pain. So how do we know that God is there? How do we know that he cares? How do we know that he can do something about our pain? I want to look at an instance in the life of Jesus And if you've got a Bible and you want to turn to it, you can. If you haven't, don't worry. The words will come up here in a moment. It's from Mark's uh, Gospel, chapter 14. So in the New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark. Uh, So that's where we are, Mark 14. But a little bit of backstory while you're finding that. What we're about to read is the bit where Jesus experiences incredible pain as he prays to his Father, to God the Father, about the pain that he's in. And the backstory is this, that for three years he's been walking around um, Israel and you know, Judea and Palestine, Galilee. And he's been teaching and preaching and he's been doing miracles and loads of people have been following him. He's been really popular. But in this last season of this three-year period, he's not quite so popular. He's kind of pushed a few buttons with the religious people and the people that were in control and have all the power. And all of a sudden the crowd are turning against him. And he's about to in- in- go through incredible pain. Some of his closest friends are about to betray him, deny him, run away from him. He's going to go through not only that pain, but he's going to go through incredible physical pain. Ultimately, he's going to die a horrific death on the cross. He's going to be crucified. And he goes into a garden, and this is what he says. Verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. He's carrying intense pain, relational pain, mental pain, emotional pain, and about to be physical pain as well. And it says, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father. You might think, what's that Abba? You know, that's the band that did Waterloo and Dancing Queen. Now, what that is, is in the original language, it's Aramaic. Okay, it's a form of Greek. And Abba literally means daddy. So he's praying to his voice, saying, daddy. You know, all this pain, you know. What's he praying? He says, God, are you there? Do you care? Can you do anything about this pain that I'm going through? Abba, Father, take this cup from me. Do something. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Wow. So take the pain away, but 
Not what I want, what you want. And then it says in Luke's gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke is the next gospel, chapter 22, verse 43 and 44. It's the same story, just a different perspective. It says, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish or pain, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So, so, so here's what happened. He prayed to his father in heaven. He said, God, are you there? Do you care? Can you do anything about this? It'd be great if you took this pain away. But God didn't take the pain away. But what God did is he strengthened him in the pain. He didn't take it away. He strengthened him in the pain. You know, you, if you're not a Christian this morning, you cannot point the finger at God and say that God doesn't know what pain feels like because he really does. So you might have this kind of view of God that he's some kind of ethereal being up there in heaven and he's set the whole world into being and then he sits back with his arms folded and he watches us go through pain and he watches Syria tear itself apart and he watches all these other things across the world and he can't feel pain. He really does feel pain. And he showed that because he gave his one son, not many, but his one son, and his son became born as a baby in a vulnerable way, became a refugee in another country. He grew up and ultimately... God the Father set back while his own son went through horrific death so that you and I could know God. So don't tell me that God doesn't know what pain feels like because he really does. And this God knows what pain feels like. But what about you and what about me? We still have these questions. They won't go away. God, are you there? God, do you care? Can you do anything about this pain? And Jesus shows us what God is like. Jesus said, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, God the Father said, you know, these guys, these human beings, they're not understanding who I am, okay? Because it's hard to understand God. So I'll show them someone that will live like them, but will be just like me. And if they've seen me, if they've seen him, they've seen me. So Jesus lived. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what was Jesus like? Well, when his best friend, one of his friends, Lazarus, died, the Bible says that Jesus turned up and he wept. He just wept at the pain. It says that you know, when he saw crowds of people that were lost like sheep without a shepherd, he had compassion on them. When he saw women who were downtrodden and, and, and persecuted through prejudice and, 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 and oppression, he lifted them up and gave them value and dignity. When he saw lepers who were considered unclean, not only did he heal them physically, but he touched them as well. And he didn't have to do that, but he did that because he feels our pain. And there's an incredible verse in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 34, verse 18, from the message, which is a new translation. It says this, if your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. Isn't that a brilliant verse? And I want to say this morning, you know, we had an amazing time at our first service. So many people touched through the story of Dave and Liz and through this. And it may be this morning, you know, that you've been kicked in the gut as well. You've got pain in your life. God will help you catch your breath because he's greater than. He is greater than our pain. So what do I do with the pain in my life? How do I experience a God who is greater than? How do I experience a God who helps us catch our breath? Well, before we look at how we do that, why don't we also ask another question? How do we help others who are kicked in the gut? How do we help other people who are also carrying pain right now? Well, let me give you a few uh, ideas. Number one, don't avoid them. That's what we often do. I hear so many times people say, you know, I was carrying all this pain and people knew about it, but they didn't say anything. They just avoided me. And we do that because we don't want to make it worse. We don't want to make ourselves look stupid. And we don't want to say something that we'll regret later. We do all these things. We're all human. I understand that. But it's the wrong thing to do. Don't avoid them. 
You know, Tony Campolo is a hero of mine. He's a, an author and a Christian speaker, great thinker. And he tells a story that he was going to a funeral of a friend of his and he was a little bit late and he arrived in America. They have these funeral parlors sometimes and, and he went into this funeral parlor and there was the body in the casket and they were about to go to the cemetery. And, and as he went in, he realized he was at the wrong funeral. There was an elderly man who died there and there was only one mourner, the wife, the widow. And he realized it was the wrong funeral. It wasn't his friend at all. But you know what he did? He stayed. He stayed there and he said to his wife, oh, I was a really good friend of your husband's. And so much so that there was nobody else there. So she said, come with me in the car. So he came with her in the car and went to the cemetery and helped her bury her husband. Afterwards, he said to her, I have to make a confession. I didn't know your husband at all. She said, I know you didn't. But you will never, ever know what it meant to me that you came and you stood by my side while I buried my husband. And there's so many people in your world, in your workplace, in your family, in this church, in our community who are in pain. And they need people who won't avoid them but would just stand with them. And you think to yourself, I'll say something wrong. You can't, if people have really experienced pain, very often will you say something that will make them feel any worse than they already do. Trust me. But actually by just being there, don't have to say anything. Just don't avoid them. Avoid, don't look at them in case they get upset. They're already upset. Don't avoid them. Secondly, don't try and outdo them. This is what sometimes we do. You know, and they talk to you about their pain. Then we say, oh, you think you've got pain. You should listen to what I've been through. And we try and say like, mine's pain's bigger than your pain type of thing. You know, don't do that. Don't try and outdo them. Just listen. And thirdly, don't be trite. Don't try and ease your own awkwardness by saying trite, easy things. Never mind. Chin up. You know, if you're British, it's like stiff upper lip and all that. Like, or, or never, you know, never mind, don't worry. Or, you know, it'll get better or all this stuff. And sometimes as Christians, we even use the Bible like that. And we say to other people and we quote Bible verses at them to try and put a stick in plaster on them. And often it's to ease our own awkwardness because we just can't stay in the pain with them long enough. And we say things like, and we've sung it this morning, and I want to explain it before I, after I say it. But we say things like, don't worry, all things work together for good. That's what the Bible says. And I understand that, but don't use that when someone's going through pain. Because it's the wrong time to use that verse. What that verse means is this. That at some point in the future, you're going to look back and you're going to see how God took bad things that happened. He didn't cause. He took bad things that happened and somehow he kind of used them in a way to bring something good out of what was bad. And you will only get that in the future when you look back. So please, please, if people are going through pain, don't lay that one on them. Don't worry, all things work together for good. That's not helpful. Not helpful. So don't outdo them. Don't try and, don't avoid them and don't try and ease your own awkwardness. So what do you do if you're carrying pain? And, and I've never used this phrase before, but this phrase has come to me as I've been preparing for this. What does good grieving look like? And you might say, well, well nobody's died. Well, well, you don't just grieve people who've died. You grieve all kinds of loss, don't you? You might have lost a job, you might have lost a friendship, a relationship. Your husband may have left, your wife may have left. You, you may have lost something in terms of one of your kids that they've gone off the rails or they've not quite done what you wanted them to do. Perhaps your health is deteriorating, you've lost some health. Perhaps you're just getting older, you've lost some ability that you used to have. There's some grief, there's some loss. What does good grieving look like? A guy called Eugene Peterson said this, pain isn't the worst thing. Being hated isn't the worst thing. Being separated from the one you love isn't the worst thing. Death isn't the worst thing. The worst thing is failing to deal with reality and becoming disconnected from what is actual. 
And he goes on to say this. What I do with my grief affects the way you handle your grief. Together we form a community that deals with death and other loss in the context of God's sovereignty and expressed finally in resurrection. Isn't that awesome? Good grieving is really, really important. So what do you do? You're carrying pain. What do you do with it? Firstly, do not. Don't pull out of life. Don't pull out of life. You know, one of the things that Dave and Liz said on the video, didn't they, is that they were so grateful for the church and for people and other, and they didn't pull out of life. They didn't pull out of community. They didn't stop coming to church. And it always amazes me that Christian people often do this, that when they're going through difficulty, the first thing they think to do is not come to church. It's the wrong thing to do. You're pulling yourself out of community. You're pulling yourself out of that opportunity for God to really meet you in that way. And people say things like, oh yeah, but if I come, I'm going to cry. So cry. It's not the worst thing in the world. So cry, but I might not be able to sing the songs. So don't sing the songs. Just be yourself, but don't pull out of life. One of the things that I love about, about what Liz said was that she just had that overwhelming feeling that she's just got to stand in the way of God. And I remember now, as if it was yesterday, just watching them stand over there in the weeks and the months after Beth died. And we just learned that song, which was a new song at the time that Matt Redman wrote, you know, Blessed Be The Name Of The Lord. You know, you know whether I'm on, the, I'm on the road marked with suffering, whether everything's fantastic. And then there's that one bit where it says, you give and take away, you give and take away. My heart would choose to say, and they couldn't sing it. But they stood in the way of God. They let others pray for them. It's good grieving. It's good grieving. Does it mean they didn't have any angry things to say to God? You bet. <laughs> you bet. But that's good grieving too, isn't it? Because good grieving is when you don't say to God what you think you ought to say, but when you say to God what you really want to say. Not what you think, oh, well, someone's going to think I'm a bad Christian. No, someone's going to think you're human and you're being real. And when you're real and honest with pain, God can do some amazing things in you. But when you hold on to it and you say what you ought to say and you pull out a community and you don't stand in the way of God, you're in bigger trouble than you realised. So don't pull out of life. Secondly, don't transfer the pain. You know, pain goes somewhere. Pain will leak out. If you don't handle it well, if you don't grieve well, pain will leak out. Somebody once said, hurt people, hurt people. And often it expresses itself in anger. Sometimes people, I know people who are working their way through pain. You know, they've got pain, they're not dealing with it properly and they're just working hard. Or it, can, or it can leak out in other ways. They get addicted to stuff or they get into, into stuff that's destructive because they're not handling their pain well at all. If you don't let God transform your pain, you will transfer your pain. That's what will happen. I realise some of these stories that I'm sharing with you this morning are quite heavy and serious and not every pain is like that. But it feels like that to all of us that experience it. One of the, the great stories that always inspires me, I suppose because I'm a musician uh, as well, is the story of Horatio Spafford. And some of you will know who that was. Horatio Spaf Spafford lived in the 19th century, was an American, was a hymn writer and a businessman as well. And um, he lived in Chicago and that fire of Chicago wiped out one of his investments, a property, burnt it down. And then his son died. So him and his wife Anna and their four daughters said, you know, we're going to go to Europe. We're going to take a holiday to try and get over what's happened but just before they were about to set sail on the ship, um, Horatio Spafford had a business deal that he couldn't get out of. And he said to Anna and, his, and, the, and their four daughters, why don't you head out and I'll join you later? And in those days, that was weeks later on the ship. 
And so off they went. And as they set sail, they weren't very far into the journey when their ship collided with another ship. And 226 people were killed, including all four of their daughters. The wife was, 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 survived. When she got the other end, she sent a telegraph to her husband. And there was two words on the telegraph that said this, saved alone. Imagine that. Your, your son's died, fire, uh, burnt out your investment, then your four daughters gone. And the amazing thing is, as he then set sail on, on the ship sometime later, as they were approaching the bit in the, in the ocean where, around about where it had happened, he wrote a hymn. <laughs> I don't know how you can do this other than God. I don't know how you can do this other than God. He wrote a hymn, and the words of the hymn are this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. What does that mean? Does it mean he doesn't feel the pain? Of course not. Does it mean he doesn't have questions about God? Of course not. But he's letting God transform the pain. He's not transferring it. He's letting God transform it. You know, many people view God not as a father, but as a grandfather. He's some kind of really cuddly person who's, who's only going to give you treats and who's never going to, you know, he's going to keep, keep you from harm and pain. He's not like that. He loves us so much. He's a father. Sometimes pain comes our way. And you know, God's main goal in life is not our happiness. It's not our comfort. It's our character. And when bad stuff happens, doesn't mean he's caused it, but he's at work in it wanting to help transform us and something good is going to come out of what was a bad and terrible thing. Thirdly, don't miss out on what God may want to do. You can live beyond the pain. I feel that I need to say that to some of you this morning. You know, perhaps you lost someone or your marriage has broke up or something has happened in your life. Perhaps even a young person, you think, actually, I can't live. You can live beyond the pain. Whatever the pain is, you can live beyond the pain. But don't miss out on what God may want to do. I love the illustration that Liz used. You know about your pain being like a ball and you try and push it into a glass and the glass being your life. But you can't get it in because the pain's too big. So you get a bigger bowl. (laughs) And the pain doesn't change, but you put it in a bigger bowl. And in that bigger space, you begin to live. And over time, the space gets bigger. The pain may not change. You're in touch with that. It's part of who you are. It becomes integrated into your life. But you're not restricted now by that. You're not defined by that. Be part of you, but it isn't you. You live beyond the pain. Somebody said, if you let your pain consume you, it will define you. Some of us this morning, today, need to say, God, I am not going to let this pain define me. Okay, it's not going to do that. I'm going to put it in a bigger container. The final thing I want to say, if you're not a Christian this morning, you may want to check out on this bit. That's absolutely fine. It's true, whether you believe it or not in my humble opinion, but if you are a Christian, I really want you to hear this. Don't forget heaven. Don't forget heaven. You know, we live in such a materialistic world where we don't think about the future. You know, everything's right now. Everything's this nanosecond. You know, what's going to happen? You know, I can't get Wi-Fi. I can't get it quick enough. And we forget that we live in a world of eternity, not just in nanoseconds. Don't forget heaven. And I know that for some of the pain that I'm carrying, this is huge for me. Huge for me about what God will do in the future. People that I can't speak to now properly, I will speak to properly in heaven. And it may be for some of you this morning, that heaven is something that you've forgotten about. And you thought that the current reality of what you're going through is all that there is. It isn't all that there is. It really isn't all there is. There is far more ahead of you than you realize. The Bible says some amazing things about this in Romans 8. Paul says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. 
Then in 2 Corinthians 4, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we can see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Then in Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. Wow, isn't that great? All these things are gone forever. You know, I've I've talked over the last 20, 30 years, I guess, with lots of people who have experienced lots of pain. You know, and sometimes I sit there and I think, oh my goodness, how do you stand up? How do you cope with that pain? And, you know, personal pain that they've experienced, Dave and Liz and many others. Perhaps the pain of loss and grief and marriage breakup and infidelity and betrayal and adultery and health challenges. And I've also talked to people who can't make sense of what happens in the world and all of that kind of stuff. And how can you say you believe God when all this stuff happens? And you know what I say time and time again? I say, do you know what? This doesn't make much sense to me, even with God. But without God, it makes even less sense. And that's not just a trite saying. I believe that to be true. Sometimes I have to say, I don't know. I don't know why that happened. I don't know why Beth died. I don't know why that happened in your life. I don't know. It doesn't make much sense. But without God, it makes less sense. It makes less sense. So God, are you there? God, do you care? And can you do anything about this pain? I believe he can. I believe that you can meet him and you can find him, even in your pain. Because he is a God who is greater than. Okay, life 11 years on. uh, Florence is 14 and Alice is 12 and Sammy is 7. And our house is really busy, really noisy, lots of things happening. Florence and Alice are, are really flourishing. Florence at, at high school. Um, both of them have recently got baptised. They, they're doing well. They enjoy life to the full. Um, Sam's a typical little, little boy who's uh, running around and into everything, so he's, um, he's really bonny and really good. Uh, Lots of music and makeup um, and footballs, um, and it's a normal house. Um, Florence and Alice are. Um, aware of Bethany and talk about Bethany a lot. Um, Florence talks about her memories of uh, Bethany and the fact that Bethany um, is watching over her and has does talk about Bethany and what, what she remembers. And a lot of what she remembers is our family um, traditions. So the things, the stories are just that have been repeated, she is aware of and talks of. Because it was 18, uh, Bethany's 18th, um, birthday this year. We wanted to do something to celebrate, to remember and honour her. And we thought we wanted to do something to mark Bethany's 18th birthday um, and also do something something, something worthwhile. So that was the idea came up of, of Bethany's ball which has been a brilliant focus for, the, for all of us in the family. Uh, as a family we were able to organise it together. We had lots of little family meetings and the girls created um, things on Facebook and the Facebook page and video clips and helped all the the preparation and the planning. It was a real family organised event um, and it was a great success. Lots of people came and supported us and we raised a good sum of money for Zambia Live. Um.